Thank you, Keith. Appreciate that. Would you pray with me? Lord, again, we thank you for this morning. We pray that as we would open your word, Lord, that you would open our hearts to your truth into your life for us. And I pray that as I would share my words, that they would be your words to your people. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So we're coming to the last two of seven letters, and I think, Patrick, if you put up the map, I think it's the next slide. There we are. So we're on the last two. Two weeks ago, we did Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum. Last week, Brian covered Thyatira and Sardis, and today we're going to do Philadelphia and Laodicea. Brian, when he was doing Thyatira and Sardis, uh, just some great points for us, right? The call to the church to hold fast, to resist heresy as it springs up in the church, to wake up and strengthen themselves in their faith, to keep the message of the gospel. And I think throughout all of these letters, you get this real sense of how much Jesus really does love and care for his church. He's writing to specific congregations and the specific needs in those congregations. And a lot of their issues stem from trying to be a witness to Jesus in a pagan world, or we might say in a secular world. Those are different things. Pagan is more about a different sort of false religious presence, whereas secular is is about a sort of non-religious presence that permeates the culture. But both of those come against uh, the Christian faith, are are antagonistic towards the Christian faith. And so there's a lot of overlap for us when we think about being a Christian presence in a world that is against Jesus or does not know him or is uh, resisting the idea of God in the culture or in individual lives. And I'm sure for almost all of you, you know people who are not followers of Jesus. I, I think probably, I'm sure all of you do, right? And there are moments where you are so aware of the difference in values the difference of approach to life. Or perhaps you see it in your workplace and some of the, the emphases that come out and how we're going to go about our business come, you know, hit you differently as a believer. You go, that's not, I can't do it that way. And Brian talked about that last week quite well, about uh, business practices and sometimes coming up against something and going, whoa, that's really different from what I can participate in as a Christian. Here Jesus is talking to two, the last two churches. These are the last of the seven. And so we're going to do Philadelphia and Laodicea. You can go to the next slide, Patrick. Philadelphia, there's a picture of it now. (laughs) Not the church per se, (laughs) but there's the ruins of it. Philadelphia, you can stay on there for a bit, Patrick, is we call it the remnant church. It was in a prime location. They had set up Philadelphia because it was right near Lydia and Phrygia. And through Philadelphia, it would almost be like a missionary city, not for the Christian culture, but for Greek culture. And as Greek culture spreads, it's actually called Hellenism. So it's for the spreading of Hellenism into these other territories in terms of language and culture and religious and political systems. And so Philadelphia was almost like a beachhead that uh, they'd established to try and spread, again, their emphasis and their culture into the larger world in uh, in Asia, right in that area. 
It capitalized on its agricultural systems, on its industrial economies. There was a major center for temple worship, religious festivals. It was a very exciting place to be. And apparently, it seems like there was a fairly large and influential Jewish population. So they had a lot going for them. Major drawback, like many of the churches in this area, earthquakes were fairly commonplace. And you can imagine if you live in a place where there's earthquakes and you, you, know, you can't really anticipate that, you would live with a certain sense of fear. You would live with a certain sense of, of you know, not knowing, do I invest in this thing or not? Do I really bother putting new windows in my house if they're just going to get smashed next time the earthquake comes, right? You would live with a sort of angst or worry about what exactly would be going on in your life. And Jesus speaks to this little church. And it says some amazing things. You can go to the next slide, slide there, Patrick. Here's uh, Philadelphia. He describes himself as the holy and true one who has the keys of David. And twice later on in the letter, he refers to a door that no one is able to shut and to the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews but are not. Again, fairly scathing words. And it looks like the Jewish population here in Philadelphia, imagine if you're, if you're a Jew, and you're part of that heritage, you would think, well, I would have the key of David, right? We would be the ones holding this tradition from the Old Testament of, of who David is and all of the promises of Messiah to come. We would be the heirs of that story, not the Christians. And so the Jews begin to exclude the Christians and effectively shutting the door of worship and fellowship to the Christian believers. And those conflicts were, were fairly common in the first century. The Christians would claim, well, we're the heirs of Israel's story. Jesus has come. He's the one that's fulfilled all of these messianic hopes, all of these promises. We're worshiping him. He died. He rose again. And the story is now being carried forward. And if you are a Jew who did not believe in Jesus, that would have riled you up. How can you say that? On top of that, the, the Christians are going around saying, yes, and God has brought the Gentiles in as well. And not only has he brought all the Gentiles in who want to repent and believe and follow Jesus, and they get to be full board, full citizen, you know, full, they get the full rights and privileges of this thing, just like the rest of us. Not only that, but they don't have to be circumcised or follow the kosher laws. They just get to be part of it. If they believe in Jesus, they get to, they're, they're in on it. Great. And you can imagine that would be very difficult if you feel you are the real Jew, but you were denying Jesus. And so there's a question of who's really bringing the story of God forward? What's really going on here? And Jesus settles the issue with some pretty intense, with some pretty intense words. And he says here, those that claim they are Jews but deny him are not. And he calls it a synagogue of Satan. That actually, this is, this is fundamentally against what God is doing in terms of bringing the nations together. And when it's pushing simply to follow the covenantal laws, but apart from Jesus, it's missed the point. And so Jesus is saying, no, now it's about those who worship and love me. They're the ones grafted into the people of God by faith rather than just on the basis of your ethnicity. I'm so glad for that because as far as I know, I'm not Jewish at all. Zero Jewish blood going on over here. Uh, it was a friend of ours in Quebec once. He looked at me and said, Ah, Amadeo. 
well, maybe you are Jewish. I was like, I don't know, man. I just, I just, just Sicilian last name, Welsh and Swedish background, some kind of Italian thing. Maybe our ancestors were involved in the mafia in Italy. That's about all I know. I don't think there's any Jewishness going on, but he was very on about that. I am glad that I can be fully grafted into the family of God, not on the basis of my ethnicity, but because I love and follow Jesus. I get to be part of the family. Now, this whole issue, I bring it up because it had some pretty interesting ramifications. The Jews enjoyed special privileges under the Roman Empire. As long as they paid their taxes and kept to themselves, they weren't forced to participate in worshiping the emperor. So it was sort of like, okay, you guys just do your little thing over here, you little Jews. Good, good. Pay your taxes. Right? We get your, we get your money. Great. We're not going to come and force you into our worship system. But So as long as Rome believed the Christians were an offshoot of the Jews, they would give them the same protective privileges. They'd go, well, they're, they're just like a little, those Christians are just a little offset of the Jews. So we'll still, we won't force them to come worship the emperor. But if the Jews start excluding, right, they start saying, no, the Christians are not us, and they start forcing the Christians out, Rome would start to see them as a separate entity, and the Christians would no longer be protected from persecution. And so by this, by the Jews excluding or closing the door to the fellowship of the Christians, it potentially would open the Christian community up to persecution from Rome. And it's possible also that the Jews would have been put off by the inclusion of the Gentiles, right? So all this jeopardized the status of the Jews in Rome's eyes, that they could lose their special status with the government and then be forced to engage with the imperial cult. You can imagine as Christians at the time, you might say, well, let's not rock the boat. Let's just go along with this because then we won't be persecuted. Right? Well, we'll get circumcised and do the kosher laws and we'll just be Jewish because that's the safe way instead of following Jesus. It's a significant obstacle for them. Look at verse 8. What page am I on? There it is, verse 8 over here. I know your work, says Jesus. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. I like this commendation. You have little power. And whether that means there's just a few of them, or they just don't have a lot of resources, we don't know exactly. But in the eyes of the world, they would have little financial or little sort of political influence or significance. And so they're facing hardship from the Jews. They're facing the pressures of the imperial cult from outside. And then you're living in a country where, you know, earthquakes could happen. You can imagine this is a kind of stressful place to live, right? That Jesus doesn't look at the outside. And I love that he looks at the hearts of his followers and he commends them for having kept my word and not denying my name commendation, enduring, keeping God's word, not denying him. And where's the rebuke? There's no rebuke for Philadelphia. They've held strong. Hold fast to what you have. Jesus is so proud of them for trying to remain faithful in a culture that is exceedingly difficult and, and you know, has all sorts of political issues and all the rest going on. Despite all the obstacles, 
Jesus loves this little church. He has no rebuke. And where the door of fellowship from the Jews has potentially been shut, right, Jesus says, I open the door. No one, not Rome, not any other group can shut this door to me. You can be in abiding relationship with me. Often in Paul's letters, open doors uh, is a way for him to describe opportunities to live out the mission of God in the world. And remember, Philadelphia was set up to do what? The whole idea was to spread their Greek culture and the emperor worship to the country around. But now Jesus says, I've opened a new door to you, and you are called to continue to live as Christians. You're called to spread a cause, but it won't be the cause of Greek culture. Now the Philadelphian church has the door opened to give witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the culture around them. I love how Daryl Johnson puts this. He says it this way. Listen to this. He says, here is where we really see the brilliance of Jesus. Philadelphia was founded in 140 BC for one overriding purpose, to be a base from which to launch a campaign to spread the Greek language and worldview and way of life to the whole world. It was a missionary city for everything Greek. But from now on, the city would be a base for launching a new campaign, the campaign to bring the gospel to the world. Jesus has taken that original ambition of the Greek authorities and now in the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God has made it the missionary uh, launch pad for Christian evangelism in Asia. Isn't that interesting? And so the church of Philadelphia, alive with the love of Jesus, even with the obstacles in front of them, discover that those obstacles actually become transformed into opportunities. Not opportunities gained because they've got wealth, but opportunities for them to share the message of Jesus Christ, to speak into the fear of the culture, right? To speak into the lives of people who are afraid about earthquakes, and tell them about the hope they have in Jesus. And so rather than seeing their limited resources and rather than being focused on the exclusion from the Jewish communities or the fear of persecution from Rome, they focus on Jesus and experience his love and his provision and his blessing. And rather than being worried about the potential dangers, understand they're living in a unique situation where they can go and spread the gospel and bring many people into discipleship and relationship with God. And so rather than having a closed door or a spirit of fear or being lost in sort of the brokenness of the culture, in Jesus, the Philadelphian church sees an open door and the spirit of love and the call to spread, not the Greek culture now, but the kingdom of God in a broken world. And as a reward... They'll endure in the city of God, a lasting standing pillar, almost like a testament to Jesus. A pillar would get knocked over in an earthquake, right? But they'll remain a true and lasting pillar that won't get toppled over, held secure in God and enduring even in persecution. What's the lesson for us? I think in our time, we too have an open door. You know, we're planted specifically in the city of Dryden, with all of its history and all of its culture and all of its various issues, but we are called also to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to this area and at this time and to live as witnesses for Jesus. 
And I mentioned it before, but I think it's worth recalling how the church has responded to various pandemics and crises throughout church history. That instead of running away from the needs in front of them, the church actively engaged and sought to care for the broken and care for the sick in their communities. And I think for us today, especially during COVID-19, there is such a need in our world for people to hear the hope that we have as Christians. And so what I'd like you to do is to take out your phone or take out a piece of paper and a pen. You can do it. It's okay. I see little movement. Take it out. You have a phone. I'm sure you do. You're allowed to take it. It's okay. Take your phone, take a pen, take a piece of paper. What I'd like you to do is write down the name of someone you know who doesn't know Jesus. Could be a family member, could be a neighbor, could be a friend. Someone that you could seek to build a bridge with this week. And I want you to write that name down. Maybe it's on your phone or whatever, but put it somewhere. Have it somewhere where you will see that name regularly. So if it's a piece of paper, maybe put it up on a mirror somewhere or on your fridge. Or if it's on your phone, put it as your background or something. And whenever you see that name, I want you to intentionally pray for that person. And I want you to ask the Lord during this time, during the season with COVID and all the rest, how can you intentionally share the love of Jesus with them? You got it? You got a name? Brilliant. I think that's a good way to live out the call to Philadelphia. Who are the people around us that need to hear the love of Jesus during this time? Who are the people in your life that need to hear the gospel? who need to see it lived out in you and for you to give them a call or just write them a message and say, hey, I was thinking of you. How are you doing? What's going on? And to choose to build that bridge with them. Let's go to the next church. This is the last of the seven, Laodicea, and it's hilarious. This is the one where Jesus talks about vomiting, which is such a graphic picture. There's Laodicea today. Now, you can see the pillars and that's a nice picture. The next picture with the, not, don't, don't switch to the slide, but the picture beside with the hole in the thing, that's an aqueduct. And we'll talk about that in a minute. You can see the remains, yeah, of the aqueduct from the city. So, verses 14 to 16 now into Laodicea. Yeah, what a great, what a hilarious line, right? I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot? Like, just make a decision already, people. Be one or the other. <laughs> Because you're lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I love that. <laughs> it's, so, it's, so, it's so graphic. Now, often people read Jesus' words here, neither, neither cold or hot, meaning you should be hot. Like you should, you know, we should be spiritually on fire, right? Sometimes we have that sort of language. Intensity of worship and lots of feelings and stuff like that. And that's okay. But this isn't about a lack of intensity for Laodicea. Their issue is an is a overriding, arrogant self-sufficiency. They just think they're better than everyone else. They were really wealthy. It was a prosperous city. They had a reputation. I almost think it's not unlike Dryden used to have a bit of a reputation in the heyday of the mill. Wealthy, fairly prosperous, and has a bit of a reputation. And then... Guess what happened? Earthquake struck, of course. Why are they building cities in this area? Honestly, right? It's like <laughs> earthquakes all the time. Earthquake struck, and Rome said, hey, Laodicea, we'll send emergency help to you so you can rebuild your city. And Laodicea refused assistance. They were like, no, thanks. We've got it. We are awesome. <laughs> so they were so proud of themselves. 
And that spirit of self-sufficiency actually permeated the church as well. Now, here in Laodicea, there's no mention of persecution or trouble from the Jews. There's, there's no mention of conflict with heresies, right? And yet this church is equally condemned. And why are they condemned? It seems that their, their economic affluence, their wealth, had led to a sort of apathy in their spiritual lives. And so here's the issue with the, with the aqueduct. For all their, all their prosperity, Laodicea had one overriding issue, and that was they had a very poor water supply. So up north in Heropolis, they had these awesome hot springs that people would go to, like medicinal purposes, right? Like you're not well, we'll go sit in the hot spring, right? It was great. And instead of that, they had, to, they had to pump their water from a spring several miles south. And you imagine a nice, cool spring, right? But by the time the aqueduct brought the water to the city, guess what? It wasn't cold anymore. Just blah. Just the grimmest, grossest, lukewarm water you can imagine. So they know all about being lukewarm. Because it was in the water. And you can imagine that aqueduct would have been a pretty serious thing. There was laws about not tampering with it. If you messed with it, you would get fined really steeply because that was, you know, source of life. If you don't have water coming into the city, you're in trouble. And so they had this strict issue about the water supply. And now Jesus is saying, you know your water, that gross water that you have to deal with? You've become just like that. You're just like that. In your self-sufficiency, you have cut yourself off from the true living water, from me. You're not, you're not like a hot spring. You're not being a healing people. You're not even like a cold spring, being a refreshing people, a life-giving people. Instead, you've gotten so used to this affluent, false self-sufficiency that you're ineffective. I wish that you were one or the other, but you've just become apathetic. Look at verses 17 and 19. I, you say, I'm rich. This is what they would say. I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Jesus says, not realizing you're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. Those words would have hit home because they had banking, textiles, and a medical college. And so when Jesus says, you're poor... That hits those who are economically affluent. When he says you're naked, that hits all of those in the textile industry. And when he says you're spiritually blind, that hits the medical community, right? And so then what does Jesus say in return? He gives them a grace, gracious alternative. Notice he confronts all the sources of their pride, their money, their industry, their medical care. He confronts all of the potential sources and then offers them an alternative. He says, in me you can find true gold right? So that hits the banking one. You can find new garments, white garments. That's the textile industry. And then what's the, what's the medical one? Instead of being spiritually blind, you can get salve for your eyes. Isn't that so cool? He hits right on the industries that they were about. And so like a loving father, Jesus reproves those he loves. This is Proverbs 3.12. He calls them to new life, calls them to repent. And verse 20, this familiar passage, which is so great, I stand at the door and knock. I think for many of us, you know, we have, there's a, there's a famous painting of Jesus in the garden knocking. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I didn't put it on my slide. You can go to the next slide, Patrick. It'll give the layout of the, of the section. 
but this idea of Jesus uh, standing at the door knocking. And often that's been used as like an evangelistic call. And that's okay. Like that's true. Jesus stands at the door and knocks for all who would to invite him in, right? And so we might, we might give that call to those who have not received Jesus to open the door and invite him to be their Lord and Savior. And that's true. But that verse is actually written to Christians. It's written to this church. They need to open the door and invite Jesus in. It's almost like in their self-sufficiency, they've pushed Jesus out of their own church. They've been all about this other stuff. And now Jesus is an outsider to his own congregation. Isn't that interesting? We can do this too. We can have lots of programs, but no sense of the presence of the Spirit. We can have great speakers come, but not be engaged with the Word of God. We can have all sorts of prayer services, but not actually be encountering Jesus. We can just be going on and on in our prayers. We can have lots of church people coming. We can have a huge membership, but not be living out the gospel. And so, Lord, would you forgive us when we look at our success instead of looking at you? Even in our own lives, we could have big bank accounts or lots of food in the fridge and just think, man, we're doing really good and realize we're actually spiritually bankrupt. This letter is the hardest to hear, but it's also so full of hope because he summons a lukewarm and a complacent church back to spiritual vitality, back to passion in him. And they may have cut themselves off from Jesus, but Jesus has come and he stands at the door and he is waiting for them to welcome him in so he will eat with them. This great image, right, that we celebrate at the Lord's Supper of coming and eating with God and that we're welcomed to that table, this picture of close friendship and fellowship with God and the promise for them to dine with Jesus but also then to rule with him. Uh, which is a call all the way back to Genesis to live out uh, our true union in life with Jesus. And so he calls them out of their sort of spiritual apathy, out of their lukewarmness, this kind of useless... They used to actually use the lukewarm water to help people get sick. They needed to vomit. <laughs> so that's the reference to the vomiting, right? Jesus calls them back to true life in him and says, you're about your money, you know what? You'll find true wealth in me. You're all about your clothes, true garment in me. You're all about your awesome medical care. Great, but you're so spiritually blind you can't see what's going on. Find new life in me. So the hope for us is to come out of our complacency and be willing to return to Jesus. Now let's go to the last slide, Patrick, because this sums it up for us. This is the last two letters. What can we pursue? There's a call for us to patient endurance. That's Philadelphia. Keeping God's word not denying Jesus. We need to resist, folks, spiritual bankruptcy, being so self-sufficient that we're ineffective or we're apathetic. But the call for us, we can actually remain faithful. We can repent. We can receive God's grace. And the church is promised to be a permanent part of God's kingdom. That's that idea of that pillar. And then from Laodicea, enjoying eating and ruling with Jesus. I love that in all of these letters, there's a call to regular Christians going through regular life in all of our brokenness and all of our stuff. Jesus still holds out his hand and calls us to repent, to come to him and to find new life. We all need to be reminded of that. It is so easy to get lost in my own guilt and shame about my sin or my own issues in life and to 
and to not turn to Jesus right away, just to be lost in my own stuff. And here Jesus is standing at the door of our hearts as Christians, inviting him back in. So the question for us this morning, and as we come to pray and close our service, is just to say, Lord, is there an area in my life I've been so busy, I've been so self-sufficient, that I've actually pushed you out? So would you stand with me and let's pray and invite God to do that work in our hearts, drawing us to himself. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your people. I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that you cut right to the heart of the issues in our lives. And you do so with love and compassion and caring because you want to see us grow in you. You're like a father, Lord, who comes to correct a son because you love the son. Because you love us. All of us as parents here can relate where we've had to step in and help correct a child's behavior, not because we don't like them, but because we so love them. And Lord, these letters speak directly to the issues that can come up in our lives and in our churches. You reprove us, you discipline us because you love us and you call us to change. Lord, today, examine our hearts, Lord. Individually and as a church, is there areas in our lives where we have pushed you out where we have made something else the focus of our lives instead of you. Lord, do that work in our hearts. Show us that, Lord. Because we want to grow in you. We want to be healthy in you. We want to make you first and foremost in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the call on each one who's here, Lord, to come and to walk in deeper relationship with you. I thank you that you forgive us, Lord, that you pick us up when we fall. And Lord, I thank you that you are so aware of the needs in our church today and in the needs represented here in individual people's lives. You are aware of the issues in Canada. You're aware of the issues in Dryden. You're aware of the various concerns in our families. And Lord, you come with your hope and your life for us today. So Jesus, we just say, Lord, would you come? Once again, Lord, take out anything in our lives that's not of you. Lord, we look to you alone as the source of true life, the source of salvation, the source of our hope and our future. And Lord, I pray over each one here today who's come, would you encourage them? Lord, bless them. Draw them close to yourself. We open the door of our hearts today, Lord, for you to come and to abide in us. We need you, Jesus. It is, it is too easy to try and navigate life on our own. We need you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for these people. Bless them today in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, before you go, receive this benediction. Children of God who are loved and forgiven in our Lord Jesus Christ, may you remain faithful to him even in difficult seasons. May you be quick to repent when you fall, and may you abide in the life-giving presence of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you so much. Pray you have a great week. We'll see you next time. And if you'd like prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Bless you guys.